Welcome to Everything EFL. My name's Erin O'Byrne, and I firmly believe that you as a teacher are special, amazing, creative, and passionate. But it's very easy to get burnt out and overwhelmed. With my podcast and my teacher training, I aim to help you avoid burnout and cut down on your prep time so you can unleash your creativity and enjoy your work more mindfully. Are you ready? Let's go. you gorgeous teacher welcome to everything EFL if you're one of my lovely regular listeners welcome back if you're one of my new listeners you're most welcome I hope you stick around this episode might be a little bit different from what you're used to so usually I kind of I write something, I prepare it. And I have done this time too, but it's kind of in a more story format. I kind of sat down at my computer, opened up the, uh, there's a site where you can like speak into your computer and the text appears on the screen. And I tried to do it that way so I could talk as naturally as possible. Um, Turned out was a bit of word vomit. I had to do a little bit of editing and mixing and stuff like that. But look, the finished product is what it is. There are a few digressions that will be signaled by this sound. And at the end of the digression, you'll hear the sound again. And yeah, well, that's it. So I felt compelled to write about this experience that you're going to hear about. Um, I'm not saying this is the way to do it, but, you know, maybe you'll get something out of it. Maybe you will try something new. This episode contains activity ideas, reflections, as I said, digressions. Um, It's certainly not perfect, but it's just stuff that I just want to share with you as a teacher, teacher to teacher. And then hopefully by the end, you'll have learned maybe something new or you'll have learned that, you know, you also you can make mistakes and mess up as long as you reflect on them. As always, my situation isn't yours. So take what you can from this and adapt according to the time you have, the age group and the space you have in your classroom. So my class profile is basically adults, mainly around 19 to 30, usually at the younger end of that scale. Been here for a few weeks. Some some of them actually started new the week that I was with them. And we work from nine in the morning till one in the afternoon with a 20 minute break. Now, week one. So I was told the week before I started this beginner's class that I would be getting a beginner's class and I'm not gonna lie my initial thoughts were oh crap this is going to be a lot you know a lot of work a lot of prep but then I thought okay why don't I take my own advice surely I would be a hypocrite if I didn't do that and I'm always telling you guys cut down your prep time reuse your materials make it less stressful for yourself so I did So what I had was seven relatively capable students, five different nationalities, European, Asian, South American, with a small measure of English, you know, obviously ranging from somebody who spoke a mixture of his native language and English to someone who could complete, in a beginner sense, full sentences and make sense and kind of understand everything I said. And then I had one guy who literally didn't have a word like he seemed to know the alphabet and he had a knowledge of the international phonemic alphabet but I didn't know what to do with him I I, it felt a bit impossible and you know I've got these other students in the class and I can't just focus on him even though he needs like full support this is beyond mixed abilities how do I get him up to speed So my initial thoughts were, okay, we need to teach him a bit of initiative. Um, We need to focus on, you know, getting him to really listen and write things down and look at the examples that we do and kind of use the context and, you know, all of this stuff. You know, he needs to be trained, right? This is going to take time. So I was kind of panicking in the first 20 minutes, just trying to sort of get to grips with everything. And then what happens about 20 minutes in, 
another guy walks in the class. It's his first day. And he's the same nationality as the weakest guy in the class. And the first student broke out into a huge smile. And I thought, brilliant support. They can help each other. But the second guy had even less English than the first guy. He did have a very smart translating device where you can speak into it into, you know, either his language or English and it translates. And it, I'm not going to lie, it really, really helped. And I thought, great, I can use this to give some advice to them on how to learn English better in a more effective way. More on that later. Talk to them about stuff they couldn't possibly have understood. Um, and I couldn't possibly have explained it without taking ages. And I didn't have ages. So I thought to myself, I'm going to try and use this translating machine as little as possible and encourage him to do the same. But I did have to use it a lot. And look, I know it didn't help them engage their brain with the language, but for the first week, it was a godsend. Don't come for me. I'm only human. Maybe I just panicked a little bit and I just wanted things to be easy. Now, I will reflect on this at some point in the future when I have the headspace or if I have a very low level class again. At the moment, I'm aware of it. I acknowledge it and I will address it. So where was I? Okay, so I thought, great, they have each other, but I didn't take into the count. Well, well, I mean, I guessed my experience of students from this kind of culture. Their education system is very different. They're very passive. They don't like making mistakes. They fear making mistakes. They're just not encouraged to speak as much. And they're going to be a little bit quieter than the other students in general. And that's not a criticism. It's just a fact based on my experience. But I thought, OK, you know, I need to mix them with more outgoing nationalities. But at the moment, it's really not possible. They just don't have enough English. So I need to get them up to speed with their English and also get them into a mental space where they feel that comfortable enough to be able to speak and interact more. So that was my challenge in the first week. One of many. So what did we do? Well, there was a lot of food vocabulary. It was It's one of those books that has like about 25 pictures and matching words, food. What I knew that this was going to be very overwhelming for the two students. They, they've just been faced with loads and loads of vocabulary. And when I say they didn't have any English, they didn't know the word bread. They didn't know the word food. They didn't know the word milk or eat. Nothing. So and I would do this with any level at any time, not just in this situation, we started creating vocabulary cards. Really simple. You write the word, you draw a picture, but you also get your students to do it. You get your students to draw. You can use these vocabulary cards again and again and again. They see the picture, they see the word. There's an instant brain connection made there. And you can teach them some easy little chunks as well while they're using the card. For example, one student can say, what's this? And the other student can say, I think it's this. Really simple, but it's a nice chunk. They look at the picture, they look at the word, they form the connection. Language learning is about forming connections in your brain. And I would encourage you at any level to use pictures. See episode 99 for graphic facilitation. So make your vocabulary cards or, like I said, get your students to make them on pieces of scrap paper. Harry Waters, I know you're listening. Now, some of your students are really fantastic artists, and that's one way of tapping into students' passions. The ones who love art and drawing, not everybody does, but some do. And the ones who do like it, they tend to take their time and create these gorgeous pictures on these vocabulary cards. And one of the weaker students, the first one, loves drawing. We managed to figure that out between us. Um, so I thought, OK, this is the perfect opportunity to do something he likes. Perfect. I've got him. 
and you have to get your stu- you have to hook your students and it's not always the same thing and this is why it takes time there's no one size fits all method you know you have to be patient but anyway he really enjoyed that and as vocabulary kind of came in throughout the week um i asked him to sit down and um you know by wiggling my finger and putting my thumb and my index finger together to signify i'm holding a pencil you know i asked him can you draw these words and he did and he took quite a long time doing it but do you know what? I don't care because he will remember those words because he made these fantastic pictures. And oh my, he, right, one of the words came up, a flight attendant. And you should have seen this picture. She had a uniform. She had a little hat. She was holding a tray. It was just amazing. And it was so good. I said to everyone in the club, look at this, look at this. This is amazing. And they were like, oh my God, you know, that's amazing. So we shared that moment with the other students as well. And the, that, that weak student was like so chuffed to see their reactions. You know, I take every opportunity to, you know, create a little bit of positivity, some positive moments and some building of self-esteem in your lessons, guys. Super important especially with those weaker, less confident students. In terms of hooking students in and establishing relationships and trust, you have to work your way around the room. But I think that gradual positive and that positive change is infectious as well. At this point, I hadn't quite got to the second week student yet, but I was working on it. What else did we do? We did ordinal numbers, birthdays, possessive, like, you know, his pen or my mother's cat, some present simple questions, questions about the date, food, things like that. So so what I did for a review is, and review is super important, you do loads of examples in your lessons, but the information has to, di- you know, digest and process. And you know yourself, just because you've done it once, doesn't mean they've got it. So anything that comes up, I basically created questions and I put them on little pieces of scrap paper. And throughout the week, I kept adding to them. And um, as they came in in the morning, they, they knew they'd be looking at these questions. And I had them kind of around the room, blue tacked around the room. And it was something like, you know, anything that comes up in class, um, or it could be, you know, a topic like food within the context of very low English, present simple, possessives, ordinals and food. My questions were stuff like, what's your favourite food? What do you eat for breakfast? Do you have a pet? What's its name? When's your birthday? And this is the thing, question forms, getting them used to those question forms and giving them exposure to question forms, not necessarily asking them to independently produce them because again, you know yourself, you have B2 students and they make mistakes with questions. So, you know, you can't expect your beginners to get it straight away. But like I said, loads of exposure could really help. It can kind of, you know, just kind of sink in. And then reuse those cards. That's what I did in different points in the week. So I had them on the wall one day and then the next day they were just sitting in pairs um, at their desks, reading them to each other. Another day they had one each and they were mingling. So it just changes it up a little bit. So they're getting exposure to the same kind of structures, the same language, but just in a slightly different way, you know, getting to know the language. So I tried to do this at the beginning of every lesson. And guys, I would say also it's not about the review isn't always about getting your students to produce perfect language all the time and jumping in. For me, it's about getting them used to doing a speaking activity when they come in, you know, letting them know we're going to begin with some speaking. Let's get comfortable with it. The more you do it, the more sort of or the less fear of judgment or making errors they're going to have. You know, they're going to talk to each other or at the very least work together, which segues very nicely into something else I introduced. 
Working together involves communication. I needed to give my students the language they need to use to communicate with each other in order to complete and check the activity. This needs to be on the board. Very simple stuff. So for the last two weeks, every time they did an exercise or something they have to complete, I would write on the board, have you finished? Shall we check together? And I encouraged my students to use this. Now, this is a beginner class, you may be thinking. I know. But Erin, that's the present perfect and a modal. Yes, it is. So what? Did I analyse it? Did I say, OK, let's do the present perfect? Did I introduce shall as a modal verb? No, they learnt it as a chunk and they learnt it within the context of completing an exercise. What's interesting is for the first few days, you, you kind of have to encourage your students to use the language all the time. You write it on the board, you draw their attention to it, you can drill it and they don't automatically start using it. It hasn't, you know, absorbed into their brain yet. It's not ingrained there yet. It needs time. It needs repetition. So just keep repeating, repeating, repeating. And then maybe after a few exercises or a few days, you introduce maybe something else. Have you finished? Shall we check together? And then something like... What do you think about number one? I think it's, do you agree? And then you'll find out that after a few days, the more on the ball students with a little bit more wherewithal, a little bit more confidence, they finish an exercise and they nudge their partner and they say, have you finished? Shall we check together? And it's really cool because you didn't prompt them. They just remembered to do it. It was on the board, but I didn't have to remind them when they finished the exercise. And then that is a great time to give them some praise. You might have to remind them the next day uh, to do it again, but that's just what it is, guys, okay? It's your job to condition them at the end of the day. So um, as they are doing these kind of little exercises at the beginning where they're chatting about different questions, keep I, I kept my monitoring a little bit light, you know? I kind of stepped away a bit because for me, this is more of a confidence-building exercise or a community-building exercise than it is an accuracy exercise. They don't need to have, like, that pressure on them. You know, you want them to relax because when they relax, their brain's going to be more receptive. And if you're hovering over and, and correcting them all the time, they're going to get nervous when you approach. So if you do approach, approach with a smile. Just, you know, try and keep your distance. And I know sometimes it's noisy, um, but try and take a step back. So just sort of um, loiter rather than hover, if you will. OK, let's talk about the present simple in a bit more detail. I always try to reinforce the connections with that sort of the contexts because I find that what's missing with the present simple is that a lot of students, they don't really know when and when not to use it. They can't seem to differentiate. They often use it for the future, um, spontaneous decisions, you know, like I open the window. They, they use it when they mean the present continuous, like teacher, I go to the toilet. So there's a lot of misuse. And I think you have to really reinforce connections between the words and the examples. So every time we looked at it, I wrote on the board, habits, routines, it's true, no change. So nice, simple language. And then every example in every sentence we looked at, I asked them, do you think this is a habit? Do you think this is a routine? Do you think this is true? And they, you know, they they, they made their guesses. And again, it's just kind of that noticing um, thing. Like I said, we learn language by making connections, just like the vocab cards with the drawings on them, um, and doing kind of noticing and asking questions. And it really makes students notice. It forces them to engage and think about things in a, a more analytical way. Which brings me nicely on to noticing. Now, I love this concept. I went to TESOL Spain and I did a session about lexicalizing grammar and another lady called Anna Plesienko did one too called Grammar with No Hammer. 
something about teaching grammar without the stress. But I thought that's a great name and I went along and her talk was really good. Now, a lot of the stuff that she talked about, I, I had some kind of knowledge of it because I'm really into the lexical approach, but it was really nice to see the information presented in a different way. One of the things that she mentioned was this concept of noticing, specifically to replace gap fills, but you can pretty much do this anytime and I'm definitely going to do a podcast episode about this. So gap fills can be a little bit disconnected you know you've got those random isolated sentences. The better gap fills are ones sort of with a paragraph or in the form of a dialogue so there's a bit more context um, but with noticing it's better to use it with a dialogue ideally because you know at the end of the day spoken English is what students want and that's what they need. So how do we get them to notice? You look at some words and phrases from let's say the transcript of an audio that we'd listen to and they'd read a couple of times and you ask questions like why does this word have s on the end because it's a plural things like that um so going back to the present simple that's what i was doing we were writing on the board and i was saying okay you know why do we use this is it a habit so you're just getting them to analyze a little bit it just makes so much sense to me you're asking them questions so you're engaging them you're exposing them to question forms all the time and you're exposing them to comma grammar forms that they will see time and time again Week two, I was exhausted. I'd just come off a holiday and my parents had come over. I'd had no break at all because it's hard work, you know? I mean, even though I loved it, I, I did love it even though I was dreading it. I loved it. I was exhausted. So a week and a half in, I was fucked. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I was just absolutely fucked because not only was I doing the beginners, but I was dealing with two very distinct levels and it was killing me and I was like okay I need to figure and like in the second week I kind of figured out I got on a more even keel I got into a rhythm of it and you know it took me a week and a half I'm not going to beat myself up about that everything's a process I've said it a million times and that goes for teachers and students what I'm about to say you do have to remember that I have the luxury of you know a long lesson so we can cover a lot and do loads and loads of review and we have a lot of room for review so what I did was I photocopied like a, a grammar sheet, a vocab sheet. I had the vocabulary cards. I had the question cards. Um, I found like little ball games and matching games and things like that. Um, and maybe just have little tasks for them as well, like show your partner a picture of your family, talk about them, something like that. So five or six tasks. And I wrote the instructions on the board. Number one, do this. Number two, do this. Um, and they work in pairs and they use the language, you know, have you finished? Shall we check together? What do you think about this? So they're getting all of that practice as well with those chunks. Um, and while the strongest students completed about six tasks, the weakest students completed two tasks. But everyone was working at their own pace and that kind of those kind of autonomous little um, activities allowed me enough time and space to monitor everyone and keep on top of everything as well. And it really helped me with my prep because I reused some of the materials and the other things were just like copies of stuff. So it was fairly, fairly simple. So I figured that out, I think around the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays. So for two or three days, they, they did that. And then on the Friday, again, we did, we did a test. Um, most of the first lesson was taken out with that. And then I was thinking to myself, what am I going to do for an hour and 40 minutes? This is the last part of Friday. Wasn't sure, but I'm fairly experienced. So I wasn't too stressed about not having prepared anything. And then it suddenly struck me in the break 
Let's build a text together. So I put on the board, uh, what are your favourite topics? And I wrote four or five topics on the board, like food, travel, family. And some of them, you know, had to look up the words on their phone. Sorry, it was Friday. I don't care. They can use Google if they want. I did try and discourage them the rest of the time. But look, everyone was tired and I don't apologise for it. Okay, reflection. I could have drawn some little pictures next to the topic words to help them, but okay, fine. Next time. So, no surprise, food was the most popular topic. So I asked them to write down a couple of sentences about typical dishes in their country. And then I wrote on the board, let's build a text. And I'm, I'm still half panicking at this point, thinking, how long is this going to take? You know, I maybe I have to pull something else out of my ass after this, but I'll figure it out as we go. But then I thought to myself as well, well, let's just go with it. Things generally take longer than you think. So whatever, you know, especially if you're making things up as you go along, because you don't really know where it's going to go. So let's just get on with it, shall we? So I wrote on the board, there are blank nationalities in this class. And then I asked the question, how many nationalities are there in this class? And it turns out there were six, including me. So we went around drilling, you know, Chinese, Brazilian, Turkish, Italian, Panamanian. So we went round a few times. So everybody got the, the, the right pronunciation there of that. And also so that they knew how what to say exactly for their nationality, because some of them don't, let's face it. They, they get the nationalities and the countries mixed up a lot, don't they? And then I think we started with the Italians and I wrote on the board, Italians eat a lot of... And then I asked them to finish the sentence. Uh, they finished it with pasta. Fine. We all understand it. So we all started um, from the beginning and we all said the text together. There are six different nationalities. Italians eat a lot of pasta. And this is good fun because it's a bit messy, but you can try and get a bit of a rhythm going. And I find also, um, I call this the la la method. So you could say there are six different nationalities. La la la, la 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 la, like that. So you la la the rhythm. And that seems to make sense to a lot of people everyone seems to kind of understand the music more than the the words I think and I think it definitely makes sense to people with a slightly different ear or maybe a particular ear it might not but it's worth trying and they find it quite amusing so we added more nationalities sentence by sentence uh, Brazilians typically eat cochinha and feijoada uh, Panamanians love green banana fritters which sounds amazing I have to say um, and again every time we added we we, we drilled and we said it all together so there's that kind of repetition so um we all, i also added a couple of little pictures on the board for some of the food that was mentioned that maybe they didn't know so quite a lot went up on the board we did lots of repetition lots of kind of rhythm and things like a lot of fish you know a lot of fish la 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 great fun um i also introduced the concept of a comma for lists so things like pork comma beef and rice just just little bits like that just weaving it into the fabric of the lesson just bit by bit and then we did a bit of noticing. So, you know, why is there an S here? It's a plural. Where's the subject? Where's the verb? We, we touched on subject and verb as well. And then my pièce de résistance is I rubbed out about three words on the whiteboard and we talked through the whole thing again together and they said the words that were missing. Then I wiped out more words and I didn't actually realize how many I'd wiped out um, until I actually wrote little numbers in the blank spaces and it turned out I'd wiped out 33 words which upon reflection is a little bit cruel but I was just like oh this one oh this one oh this one 
And then suddenly there were 33 words missing. But that's what it was. And do you know what? They rose to the occasion. They sat there. They chatted. You know, I wrote on the board, I think number 33 is. Yes, no, I'm not sure. Some of them used it. Some of them didn't. That's fine. Whatever. Again, Friday. Um, but just to reiterate, you know, give them the language to communicate when they have to complete a task. It kind of struck me upon reflection that this is this activity was a bit overwhelming for the two weaker students. So maybe what I could have done is just rubbed out maybe five to eight words and they could have taken a photo because I know that they copied down the original text. They could have taken a photo and then looked on their phone and then, you know, just tried to find out just a few missing words. And then I would have rubbed out more for the other students for differentiation. But I'm really proud of them and I was really looking forward to the next week and my plan was to connect a little bit more with the second student try and find out a little bit more about him and gradually change his mindset about speaking because he didn't really speak without prompting whereas the first student had got to the point where he actually spoke a little bit not not much but like he'd volunteer answers the other guy didn't at all but at some point that second student you know he has to speak but he has to feel ready he has to feel comfortable and this is where you know my skill and your skill as a teacher comes in you know you have to make sure that you've built up your student to the point where they feel that they can speak without fear and again I'm going to say it's a process that's where I was heading the third week then I got the email that I'd been reassigned to another class and I was a bit disappointed to be honest because I felt like we'd just started bonding and I thought I'd pretty much got the other students. They We were starting to fall in love with each other, you know, and, and I kind of feel like I got torn away from them. But I thought, OK, fine, before I leave, I'm going to give those weaker students some advice. So again, I use the translator. Don't care. I said, you're making progress. You're doing well. And they were very happy with that praise. Um, but then I did say to them, you know, you need to study some basic vocabulary. I said, go to the supermarket, look around you, look at the signs in the streets. And, you know, the second student who hadn't really spoken much, he kind of broke out into a smile like, you know, like he thought this, as if this was a great idea. And he probably had never thought of it because at the end of the day, he was, what, 19? He was a kid. And, you know, let's face it, they don't really have many autonomous study skills, do they, when they leave school? Um, so the challenge that I was facing with that second student, you know, I knew I would have got there in the end because I always do. But it would have taken time and kindness and compassion and, you know, for him to know that he's in a safe space. So my achievements, um, I think I just did well in lots of review and repetition and grasping basic concepts. The first week students spoke without prompting and the others seemed very engaged and relaxed and the pacing seemed to be quite right. So all in all, within two weeks, I think I achieved quite a lot. And I actually received a really nice email from their original teacher who took over the class uh, once I had been reassigned and I told him everything I'd done and he basically said wow it looks like you've done loads of work and we have big shoes to fill and I thought that was actually a really nice thing to say because you know he didn't have to say that so what's your experience with beginners let me know you can dm me you can comment under any of the social media posts that I post about beginners but let me know and also I'd love to know what your takeaways are from this episode and you know if you want to try something new you know take something and give it a try. As teachers, I think we have to take risks and constantly try new things. So yeah, guys, I hope that you found that interesting and it wasn't too much just me 
just, you know, vomiting words into the microphone. Um, if you like this episode or any of my episodes or any of my posts or anything that I create, please share it. Think of it as returning the favour for all this lovely free content that I give you. You can also fill in um, my survey. I'm going to leave the link in the show notes. I also have freebies. There's usually one in the show notes of every episode or every Friday on my social media. There are links to them. And if you are listening on Spotify and iTunes, consider writing me a quick review and giving me five stars. I reached 15,000 listens this week, which I'm delighted about. But I want more, okay? I want more. I want 16,000. I want 18,000. I want 20,000. And I need you guys to help me get there. So spread the word and share the love. Bye. (laughs) 